Hello, welcome back to Free Reeling It, your movie-watching podcast with your two friends. I'm one of the two friends, uh, Jesse. With me is the other friend, Matthew. Say hi, Matthew. I'm just an ordinary man. I think that's a line from this movie. I was trying to remember one real quick. Hello, Jesse. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's I'm pretty tired. It's been a it's been a whirlwind January. It's not even my birthday yet. It's it feels like it's just getting crazier. I didn't realize you're a January birthday. Yeah, it's, it's, it has its ups and downs. Sure. Um, sure. we're gonna just jump right into this because I don't want to make a three hour episode about yeah. this three hour movie. Uh, we Is- watched. 1962's Lawrence of Arabia, directed by David Lean, yes, and written by Robert Bull and Michael Win- Wilson, starring Peter O'Toole, Alcides, yeah. Anthony Quinn, yeah. and Hell Omar yeah. Sharif. Yeah. Um. Before we jump into it, I thought, I thought so. I put this on HBO Max because it's. I, I told Matthew I was excited that I picked it right as it came to HBO Max, and Matthew realized he rented it three times. Yep, I rented it three times. Yep, I did. Um, which that means you paid how much? Um, it was two ninety nine. I'm not a. Yeah, I'm, you paid nine dollars. I, I, I paid nine dollars. I rented it in SD because, um, I, you know, we got we got we got to pinch pennies where we can in this house. I'll send you. I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you four fifty later. I'll pay. No, that's cool. No, it's uh, cool. because because here's the thing, Jesse. Here's the thing. I. I don't know how much I've said on the podcast. I have moved my office down two levels, and uh, all my DVDs are down there. Guess what DVD I own somewhere in my stacks? I own Lawrence of Arabia, and I could have gotten my ass up and dug it out. Did I? No. The best part is my lovely wife. Uh, I said, I have this downstairs. You want me to go dig it out? She's like, I don't really feel like it. I mean, all due respect, she's in the third trimester of a pregnancy. We are about to be parents. Like, we, we have... <laughs> the lack of energy in this house is real. But um, but we, uh, we both got through this once. I got through it twice. And I actually just kept wanting to put it on. Like, I didn't make it through, like, every time I put it on just because... Who has like three hours and forty some odd minutes? I think this is this our longest one. Um, I mean, it's not real if you close. count the Gundam trilogy. Yeah, it'll be our longest single movie, probably. Yeah, I think I think it's either this or Come and See at this point, right? I don't think Come and See gets nearly this. I feel like we watched another three hour though. I mean, Stalker Stalker gets close. Oh, silence! Uh, silence is pretty close to this. Yeah, I, I, but this is almost four hours long. So yeah, yeah. nothing, nothing this close. Um, I, I thought I, I thought the app was broken when I started because it plays the overture, and I'm so used to old movies when they have an overture like this. Mm-hmm. You have a title have, screen, at least at least a title screen, yeah, <laughs> or something. And it was just black for like three minutes, and I'm like, is it broken? <laughs> Did I break yeah. the app? Uh, right. And then I Googled it, and they're like, no, 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 that's how this overture works in streaming. I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> thank yeah. you, Internet. Reba's um, like, why are we just hearing music? I'm like, oh, yeah, because it's an old movie, and old movies that were really long had overtures. I have to ask, did you skip the Did you skip the intermission? No. Okay, well, I did because I, I was on a time crunch. I Well, I think the only reason we didn't um, was 
in it like I'm trying to be a supportive partner a pregnant woman and so we would take care of her needs as best as we could in the intermission and also she would ask questions um, not that I'm an expert on this movie but I kind of understand it in a lot of ways and so she's just saying so what's really happening here I go all right here's and we would just sort of dig into specific specific events we had we had watched and talk about it a little more so we use the we we use the intermission wisely i think um so i mean i don't think we should go beat by beat because this again is almost a four-hour movie yeah but let's talk let's talk broad overview um what what did you like about this movie what didn't you like um, I think, so I know you and I both have some big problems. I would like to focus on positives first. I know I, I'm not trying to be a coward about that, but I know you and I will both dig into that, um, collectively. Yeah. But I think that this movie visually and, uh, overall presentationally holds up as kind of a standard bearer for what an epic should be. Um, not necessarily because it is uh, large-scale battles or, or larger-than-life adventure or even larger-than-life characters, but I think there are big ideas at play in this film, and I think that uh, O'Toole's performance is probably the strangest uh or one of the strangest in hollywood history with regard to being the center of an epic because if you if you watch it from beginning to end you get like a really good sense of who lawrence is yeah and he does not he is not the square jawline Russell Crowe and gladiator I'm going to lead this country to a better place uh, he is actually very much anti that in a lot of ways because I don't think he sets out to lead per se I think he sets out to unite and I said this before we started you know actually getting into the show proper I think he goes into Arabia, as it's referred to in the movie, to he he goes in to, you know, appraise the situation as Claude Rains says it. But he never once treats an Arab in the movie. He doesn't treat them as like a soldier that he is commanding. He always addresses them as people, and when, uh, and when he's faced with their customs, he doesn't he doesn't step back and go, "Oh, you're bloody savages" or anything like that. He tries to be he tries to understand the environment he's in. Um, also, without being like the stature of it. Like he kind of chews the scenery when he's when he's on screen. Yeah, uh, he he has a presence about him, 
Um, and, you know, I'll say it, young Peter O'Toole, kind of a dashing man, if you ask me. Peter O'Toole is super handsome in this movie. Like, like yeah. Like, like I, it's kind of a bu- not a bummer. It's kind of surprising, like, if you look at his acting roles. Um, this was, like, his biggest one at the prime, <laughs> it feels like. Like, there, there was nothing, he didn't do anything, like, bigger than this or I feel like anything really close to this I mean there's some there is some famous but he's not leading any of them so I'll, I'll say this Peter O'Toole is is an interesting character as an actor because he was nominated for best actor five times did not win um, and the movies he was nominated for are performances like I've never seen um, I think he was nominated for Beckett he was definitely nominated for My Favorite Year. He was definitely definitely nominated for The Ruling Class. And the fifth one at this moment I am completely blanking on. But each of his each of his characters that he is nominated for are are performances that I just <clears throat> I can't think of anybody else that would do a role let alone that role that way. Uh, and he was a, he was a phenomenal talent. Uh, I'll never forget the first time I saw him in a movie, and it was not one of these. It was King Ralph from the 90s, <laughs> where John Goodman, through some happenstance, becomes King of England. And Peter O'Toole is his sort of advisor throughout all of it. Uh on paper, n- not a great movie. In practice, definitely not a great movie. But, like, Peter O'Toole is still Peter O'Toole, even in that situation. Um, I would recommend watching My Favorite Year and The Ruling Class. Uh, both, of those, both of those films are just wonderful. Um, back to Lawrence of Arabia, uh... I think there was a in Ebert's book, The Great Movies. Uh, he talks about Lawrence of Arabia, and I, there's one thing that sort of struck me that he said because I had read that after watching the movie for the first time, and I had kind of thought about the the same thing. Like David Lean was a pretty powerful filmmaker by the time he made this movie. He was not new. He he was not, he didn't burst onto the scene. He had been making pretty solid movies up to this point. And he, at least if I'm remembering the timeline correctly, I could be wrong. Uh, But you, I can't imagine in like 1960 or even 1959, because I don't know how long this actually took to get off, to get actually, to get from zero to production to theater. I don't know how you walk into a movie producer's office and say, okay, uh, I'm going to make a film. Uh, It's going to be a a very massive expenditure to any studio that undertakes it. It's going to be shot in the desert and probably not going to be any big name stars. Because Alec Guinness, not a big name star yet. 
Anthony Quinn, not a big name star yet. I don't think anybody knew who Peter O'Toole was at this time. Um, again, not a historian here, could be wrong. But the fact that he was able to sell some, sell a studio on doing this, and then it comes off as the final product, the balls on David Lean. Um, and this is, I think, for being, for being, uh, two hundred twenty-seven minutes. That is three hours forty-seven minutes. I don't think it feels that long. Yeah. I, I mean, I think this is definitely a Gone with the Wind situation where it is beautifully paced. It's, it's, you know, it's kept tight enough for that length. And uh, it, it trucks right along. It doesn't just it doesn't just drift at any point. Um, but uh, Jesse, what did you think before we get into the problems? I, th- I thought it was great. I thought it was a really <sighs> epics are hard just because they're so long. And like I- I've talked about how I was kind of bored in the middle of Spartacus and like I appreciated Spartacus, but it just wasn't doing it for me. Yeah. Um, but the, but this did, and I think it's mostly because Spartacus, as much as, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, lead, lead actor in Spartacus. Oh, Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas is like really charming in that movie, and not charming, but like he's compelling in that movie. There's no, there's no uh, space for him in that movie to like be Spartacus. He's just the 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 Roman, right? Yeah, he's just um, gruff. That's all he is. Yeah, but but Lawrence gets a uh, Peter Tool gets a lot of room for Lawrence to like contemplate and think. Um I think about the moment where they're crossing the deserts and one of his companions uh falls into quicksand. Mm-hmm. And he tries to save them. Yeah. And they just can't they're too far deep and they lose them and they give him a solid minute to lay there. Yeah. You, you don't get that in you don't get that in a lot of these epics cuz they're trying to just move things forward cuz they're mm-hmm. so long. Um so I really like that a lot and I appreciated it being serious. <laughs> if that makes it. like it's a movie that came out in 19 uh 62 and it and it was the was it it's the British army, right? Yes. So like, is David Lean British? Yes. Okay, so maybe the British like kind of like taking taking a crap on their own military more, mm-hmm. um, but like it didn't it didn't it didn't paint the the British army in a good light at all. Oh um, no! It it, 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 yeah, anything, it, they, it it paints them to be just boring. <laughs> well, not just that; it paints them as the villains. Like they're the ones really causing these issues. Oh, 100%. Anything. And, and like, I think about how when Lawrence goes back to the military to ask for these things that he needs, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can give you all the, 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 uh, the, the, like, the might you need, the money you need. And then as they're leaving, they go, now, if we do give the aerial support, though, then they might fight us. And he's like, no, no, I won't do that then. I won't give them aerial support because yeah. I don't want them I to can't, fight they us. Can't, I can't give them artil- artillery. We can't allow them to be independent. I think that's. Yeah. So I appreciated that. And I think like both of our biggest gripes, I think just, I think for us, it's different weights of that gripe really more than anything. Like, I Mm -hmm. think it weighs heavier on you than it does me, but that's 
also me being just kind of forgiving of movie history in some ways. But yeah, well, I mean, okay. So this is where we're getting into Guinness. Yeah, we can get into correct now. Yeah, yeah it's, so, I mean, because we both have the very the like mo- like I think the, we you might have one more gripe than I do, but like this is the major one. Yeah, um, I well, so I'm not a I'm not a I, I I'm not opposed to painting military folks as buffoons because uh, that's always been kind of my jam for some reason. I feel a little bit more politically charged about it now than I ever have in my life, but I've all I've always been happy to see an army man look stupid. Um, yeah. But so Anthony Quinn and Alec Guinness are in this movie in in its entirety in brownface. Um, they are they are they are white men who are playing Arabs. Um, Jesse and I both have a problem with this. Uh, I don't think I necessarily weigh it differently. Uh, I'm and I'm also I, I also said this like as, before we start started launching the show. They're not playing Arab stereotypes. No, like they're they're, n- they're actually the most like two of the most competent characters in this movie. Yeah, I mean I think like if if you if you want to put dollars to donuts, they are well acted parts. Do I have a problem with white men? doing that role when they definitely found Omar Sharif to play as big of, if not a bigger role than Allie Guinness and Anthony Quinn in this film. Uh, yeah, I do have a beef because you know, that work could have been done because clearly it was there. Um, but I, I also think that like, this isn't Hank Azaria voicing Apu for The Simpsons. Like, that's not what this is. Yeah. Uh, the- and, like, as I was talking about before this show, it's, like, there's a difference between this um, brown face and the the Asian stereotyping that happens at Breakfast and Tiffany's, right? Like, yeah. they come around in very similar eras, but one is full stereotypes, full comedy, full mm-hmm. making fun of a race, while the other one was, like, we just really like these actors and we think they can play these roles, but they don't look like the, the, the people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and you know, we could say, we can say that we, we can, we can afford them all of the, all of the leeway we can, but it still doesn't change the fact yeah. that this is a very problematic thing. <laughs> and, and the most frustrating thing is something else I brought up beforehand is like literally your fourth, major role in this movie is played by Omar Sharif, who is Egyptian. Like he's right there. Yeah. Like you could get, you could find people either in that area or close to it who are great actors, Mm -hmm. but they just didn't think they don't think of, they barely think about it that way now, but they definitely didn't think about it that way then. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that, I think that there's, there is, potential for you know a movie like this to become a launching pad for great careers i mean look i mean it kind of is in a way uh because like i think the only person who was in something notable before this like something that was world-renowned notable is claude rains and he was in casablanca yeah and that was in the 40s, and this is in the 60s, so there, there's definitely time there. And he's but, like sixth uh, build in this. Yeah, I mean, he's not a he's not a major role at all. But you know, you, 
I think that I think that Omar Sharif was definitely in a different in a different you know acting space after this film. I know Peter O'Toole was. Uh, we all know Alec Guinness, who would go on who would go on to play Obi Wan Kenobi, and then and, hate the rest of his life. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then Anthony Quinn, uh, he was just about to start taking Hollywood by storm in the 60s because I think that was his big decade uh, and then just before this I know he was in La Strada uh, by Federico Fellini I think that was 1960 so um, and he yeah, didn't it, even it, he didn't even speak Italian in that it was his, his, his Italian was overdubbed for whatever reason it's uh, just it's just one of those things where like this movie is extremely good and like visually stunning, holds up immaculately. The yeah. edits and cuts of this movie are what inspired every good like editor and cinematographer, I think, like today. Oh, for sure. I don't think you don't see this movie and then see like Roger Deakins and Spielberg and all these like big like people who like are known for the visual tricks and stuff. Oh yeah. They don't they don't get there. We don't get here. Yeah without this movie and it's weird to put that much importance on this movie but just what like if you haven't seen this movie you don't have to watch this movie just look up the transition between the flame and the desert for it's the sure. most famous transition mm-hmm. and, and there's a reason for that yeah i mean and then just the, the the moments of absolute stillness especially when peter o'toole and his first guide are like at a well and you you watch a figure just appear on the horizon as a dark speck. Oh yeah, and then and then that dark speck fires, lands the hit, and now yeah. it's a threat. Yeah, and it's and a now, threat that's and, far away. And now all of a sudden we don't know what's about to happen. Yeah, uh, because you know, or or when they the train like when they crash the train. Hell yeah! And they start firing on it. That's in that's in an impressive amount of just coordination. That's terrifying. And mm-hmm. then when and then he stands upon the train. That's a beautiful shot there where he's yelling about the train. And yep. then the guy that appears underneath the wreckage and fires at him. Mm-hmm. Like that series of events is back to back to back. Mm-hmm. And it's all incredible. Yeah. Any 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 star wars fans that find this podcast like tatooine does not look the same without lawrence of arabia there's absolutely nothing that will change my mind on this um but yeah this 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 film is a is a marvel uh a marvel with problems but a marvel nonetheless and that and that's the i guess the most frustrating thing is these are these are solvable issues now. They were solvable issues then, but no one like, thought about it. Yeah. But they're solvable issues now, but like you can't make a movie like this now. Not that you couldn't try. It's just... I I couldn't imagine it being able to cost as much as it does the way that the, the world kind of works. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, did, I did some quick maths. Um, this movie cost $15 million to make. Yeah, in 1962, which is a lot of money in 1962. Yeah, style. it's 1962 um, money. That's bank, and that would be 150 dollars, 150 million dollars now. Oh, which easy. again, that's that's a box. That's a like that's bo- that's a medium blockbuster now, right? Mm-hmm. But it cost it, it made 70 million dollars, which back then 
100% hit. Huge hit. The biggest yeah. of hits. But in today's money, it would only made about $700 million. And technically, that would be a profit. But the way our just budgets for marketing and stuff are so big and the way the movie industry kind of looks at box office, some people might see that as a bomb. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, if you're making Lawrence of Arabia in 2023, you're not getting, you're not getting folks on the ground in the desert for, for 150 million. Not at all. I mean, I think you, I think you get close to it though, because I think Dune cost about 150. Um, and that was a lot of desert work too, but I, I just think there's a, there's a different expectations when it comes to the box office and there's a different way budgets are kind of accounted for now that I don't, I just don't know you can get that approved the way that they want to. And yeah. you need to, you need to get a name in there that would probably just cost too much. You couldn't do a thing where Peter O'Toole's so, uh, close enough to being famous. Yeah. That, uh, it just worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. You, you can't, you couldn't do it where your, your sixth build actor happened to be in a masterpiece almost 20 years before. <laughs> and it's like, it's not even, it's not even like been like 20 years since Avatar. It's been like 13 or whatever. And yeah. as much it's like Avatar 2 is extremely impressive compared to the first one. And it's struggling to even do what the first one did. And you would think that would be kind of a slam dunk that it's better. So it should do better. Right. Um, and it's just, it's struggling just because the whole industry is kind of shifted. So yeah, I would love to see an epic of this kind of scope come back. I just don't know how you do it now. I mean, I think it happens, um, on the smaller scale though, like in the, uh, but yeah, world. it, it, ha- it happens on a smaller scale because, like, um, like I think the Batman is, is a pretty good, I, 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 I hesitate to call it I, an epic, but like for some reason it feels like this the, kind of movie for some reason to me. The pacing of the epic is coming back, which I do enjoy that. Like, yeah. the Batman's close to three hours, and it has a very epic type of pacing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Babylon has the epic type of pacing. After two, has like there there are movies coming out that are being more and more like this, but there's a lot of pushback to those lengths too. That it's the scope though is my issue, right? Like, there's a grandness to Lawrence of Arabia and a grandness to Ben Hur. Um, and yeah. the grandness to Cleopatra, right? I'm mm-hmm. Cleopatra. I just know enough about Cleopatra. Sure. Um, that you couldn't get unless it was a lot of CG. Like, like the last time you got like a grandness of the scope, it's all it's all CGI at that point, right? Like, yeah. Um, using one of the bigger franchises out there now, Endgame, the last battle of Endgame. That's in that's the a huge scope. You have hundreds of people on screen. And the, the only way they could do that is they film separate chunks of those actors at different times. You yeah. can't get an army of 500 people in the desert anymore no. um, unless you're making a Bollywood film like that. Maybe that's where it lives now. It lives in the Bollywood films. Yeah, I mean, so I think the – and it also depends on what you're talking about as an epic. Like, <clears throat> for some reason, Tree of Life by Terrence Malick is popping in my head. And I feel like that's an epic, but it's an epic idea. It's not an epic movie, per se. Yeah, Ch- true. Children of Men is an epic idea, but it might not be an epic movie. I mean, when you think about Lawrence of Arabia, like, 
sure the the easy part is to talk about you know the the weird misfit british soldier that te lawrence is but you also have to remember he ends up going a distance to unite arab tribes like that's a huge undertaking yeah i i think it's the it's just the marriage of scale scope and like they're all the very similar connotative words but like it's Mm -hmm. it's different feelings right like the batman feels like an epic because it's um it's sweeping it's very like yeah there's a presence to it yeah um like everything everywhere all at once is an epic to me but is it an epic film no yeah it's an epic because like its story is like pushing you through all these different emotions so so fast um I feel like the last like major one that I could think of is maybe the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Not like each one, right? Like, yeah, each one has all three of those things. It has scale, scope, and like vision, all mm-hmm. married into one. And that's like the last time I can remember feeling that way. Sure, I, 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 mean, I there's plenty of people that argue Avatar, but like that's different. I think Avatar, yeah, doesn't have a strong enough story to have that. Epic. And like. And like, and as big as the Lord of the Rings movies are, like, I if I were to put any one of them next to Lawrence of Arabia, it still feels it's, small. Yeah, it still like, feels smaller. I, than like, this. there's the, there's just that je ne sais quoi that is not present. That you look at, you look at like films you mentioned: Lawrence of Arabia, Ben Hur, Cleopatra. Um, I'm trying to I, think of others, but I can't right now. I mean, Spartacus uh, is in there. Um, yeah, Spartacus. I don't know like, if Ten Commandments falls in there, but like, yeah, Ten Commandments does. I think. I think there's some spec. There's uh, there's enough of the spectacle in there. Um, it's been a while since, but like Doctor Zhivago. Yeah. What, who, what D? What David Lean made right after this is also epic, but is it like the same scale of Lawrence of Arabia? No. However, it also has that that little piece that feels just immense um i i think it just takes a certain director to be like i want to do this as real as i can and that's how you get it um mm-hmm. like it, it's not 100 percent the feeling but i do think dune like like uh dennis villeneuve and like christopher nolan are two um directors who understand the feeling of epic mm-hmm. i don't know if all those movies hit it all the time right but they're they're reaching for it like like you i rewatched interstellar this the lot in 2022 like that movie's reaching for epic mm-hmm. dune is reaching for epic dune is um, definitely reaching for epic uh, and I, I look at I, I just search epic and like most of it is known like inceptions on here interstellar's on here uh, tenets on here like the, people consider that movie and ep- those movies epics because they're reaching for that feeling yeah. um, other ones that some people are like the Northman which I, I feel like you could consider that reaching but I don't think it has a, a wide enough scope yeah like yeah it, it, ha- it has it wants to it's it's the Northman and epic is the middle schooler that's trying to grab the rim on a basketball hoop yeah, but like Gladiator and Master and Commander, like those ones, I can see like someone. Oh, those are those are definitely throwing there. those out there. Yeah, yeah, those are definitely there. I, w- I would say uh, those two, Kingdom of Heaven, also by Ridley Scott, is is definitely there too. 
maybe there's that sense of like these are stories that we tell as legends come into it also yeah yeah no that's a that's a good way to articulate it for sure like uh the list down here and i and i get the consideration like elvis like elvis is not a good movie like it, I, I had fun with it but it's not a good movie but it's a legend and that's why people like are putting it in the way of epic right like it's a legend being t- told um and, like you have star wars list down here i don't think star wars as one movie could be considered that, but I think as the whole franchise could definitely feel like that because it's a, it feels legend. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the I think the original trilogy of four, five, and six. Yeah, those it, ones it, for sure. It, it it comes close. Like it's it comes close. Um. I I think in a world in 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 another timeline where Martin Scorsese was able to tie the the movie Gangs of New York up in a bow. Um, yeah. Rather than have it just, it's it's just a mess. The entire final third, I think that is is really cl- is really close there too. Um. Um. And, and like to go back to kind of our big issue to get off kind of the epic talks, we're kind of talking ourselves into circles. Sure. Um. I'm just looking at some of the facts that are listed on the lovely IMDb page, and anybody could put these there, so these could be made up. So don't blame us. Right. Um. It was banned in a lot of Arab countries, which makes sense. You would think that they hear hear that this movie's being made and like they are definitely making fun of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and Omar Sharif arranged to have the president at the time of Egypt uh, see it, and he loved it so much it became a huge hit in Egypt. So like it, that kind of I think that goes into what we're saying. Like there's nothing like racially bad in this movie. It's just there's white actors and brown face, and it's really frustrating. Yeah. Well, and it's um, also, it, I mean, you you have to think that while Hollywood might, might not have been sensitive to the the problems of colonialism, the cultures that were colonized might, you, you start to talk about what Lawrence of Arabia is, and they're going to be like, nah, dog, this seems like you're, you're about to, tr- you're about to stomp on some nerves, all right? You're about to, you're about to make some enemies in some countries yeah when when ultimately i don't think i think that there are plenty there are plenty of films that have those problems and just show their whole ass with it i don't think that's this film um and i'm glad i mean hearing that story that omar sharif like showed it to the president of egypt that makes me really happy and like a couple other things i like like show there was effort put in and again, this isn't us like saying this is a good thing. It's just like that's why I think it's it feels different than other kind of bad casting choices in the movies of this time. Yeah. Uh, Alec Guinness like really wanted to be as close to the real like Fasal as possible. Mm-hmm. And I guess when they were shooting in Jordan because they shot on location, people thought he was. Yeah. So like they were trying <laughs> they were yeah. really trying uh this is another frustrating thing i don't think it was like on purpose but it is just kind of the way this movie is um mm-hmm. this movie is the longest movie without having a woman speak any line of dialogue oh jesus i didn't even think there, yeah, there's about just, there's just like maybe two women in this movie and they're just not they're not characters they're and yeah around. they're 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 window dressing oh my god uh, Peter O'Toole also did not see the movie until after like two decades and he's like oh yeah that's pretty good <laughs> I love that. I just love that. Um, I guess the lens that they shot the entrance of Omar Sharif's character um, was like custom made for that shot and only that shot. 
Yeah. And it's in like a museum <laughs> called yeah. the David Lean Lens. I love that. What the fuck? <laughs> um, I guess he, uh, the searchers were the, was the inspiration for the movie. He watched it a bunch. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, they had to drive every drop of water 150 miles to the production in Jordan. That makes sense. Uh, funny, funny thing I noticed on in the opening credits: Nicholas Rogue is a second unit director. Oh, neat! Which is which? I'm just like, whoa, that's dope. Reba's like, who's okay. Nicholas Rogue? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> this, this is me this being is a nerd. So, so Spielberg is someone that we could probably rely on to have like accurate readings of the film industry today. Sure. Yeah. He, I don't know when this was posted in here, but he estimated that to make this movie today would cost, uh, in in the way they filmed it, so in, filming on location, mm-hmm. um, it would cost about almost three hundred million dollars. Yeah, which is I, more, which I think is about, I think that matches up what I looked up. Um, it's just oh, no, I, it was one hundred fifty, so it would cost twice as much now though, just in general, just because everything. Mm-hmm. So that movie oh, yeah. would have to easily cross five hundred to 700 to make money yeah for sure um other one al guinness developed his accent by listening to omar sharif and practicing with him mm-hmm. um any in- other interesting things uh, well, you know what i found super interesting that this movie is just uh citizen kane but in the desert you ever think about huh. that <laughs> i mean it's not as I'm... chopped up as citizen kane but it is the same kind of thing as like you have Kane kind of having yeah. ups and downs throughout his life, and the he movie dies starts at the with beginning his death, of the movie, <laughs> and people are just trying to find out more about him because he's so mysterious and no one knows mm-hmm. about him. Um, but I mean, it has like the same kind of up and down path for Lawrence than Kane has. I feel like, yeah. But I, I think as as much as I as much as I do appreciate Citizen Kane, I do and I do like the movie. Um, I feel I love Citizen Kane. I feel like a lot more. Um, I feel like a lot more empathy for Lawrence than I do. Oh, yeah. Kane was Kane, Kane was one hundred percent like wrong through most of that movie. He was yeah. very vindictive and stuff. Lawrence at least is like trying to learn. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest hurdle, and they and they and they make it so clear at the beginning of the movie is Lawrence doesn't believe in pain, right? And that includes emotional pain. I feel yeah. like at the beginning. Uh, when he does the whole flame trick, like they really push that and they keep on pushing it more and more. And then once he finally breaks under the torture, mm-hmm. like he doesn't know how to deal with himself anymore. Yeah, and he's that's like, I, he's like, I am a normal part. man. I want a normal job. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, before, before something else super on. interesting. Oh, go ahead. Oh yeah. I just, I find it super interesting that Dave Lean filmed the whole movie without looking at dailies once. I did not know that. That's hilarious. That that's, that's fucking cool. I mean, it's hilarious. Yeah, I guess he, like, he just didn't because, want like, to miss a Dave shooting, so they just kept on shooting. Wow. So uh, I pulled up the Great Movies article that, that Ebert wrote for this. Yeah, I think it was in like, in like 2001. And I, I like this passage near the end. Uh, there was a hunger within filmmakers like Lean and Kubrick, Coppola, Tarkovsky, Kurosawa, and Stone to break through the boundaries, to dare a big idea and have the effrontery to impose it on timid studio executives. The word epic in recent years has become synonymous with big budget, the big-budget B-picture. What you realize watching Lawrence of Arabia that is that 
the word epic refers not to the cost or the elaborate production, but to the size of the ideas and vision. Werner Herzog's Aguirre, The Wrath of God, didn't cost as much as catering in Pearl Harbor, but it is an epic, and Pearl Harbor is not. <laughs> um, which, which, you know, that's... I do appreciate that sentiment, and I, I'm not trying to troll the movie Pearl Harbor, but A, it's not good. Um but like i feel like he's kind of touching on what we were discussing with uh what like what is an epic uh yeah i mean like listen to the movies that supposedly this movie inspired right mm-hmm. um dune the dune franchise star wars prometheus fury road and frozen <laughs> oh yeah 100 percent. all that makes total sense yeah it's just it's nuts yeah I'm trying to there's a lot of there's a, I, I wish i read this before there's a lot of this wikipedia article about like what people think is correct and wrong about the historical accuracy because that's the other thing too is like this is really based off something yeah um i think um the wiki the wikipedia for the movie says it's based off of the seven pillars of wisdom by t.e lawrence yeah um but also, like, there's also, uh, so talking about O'Toole's performance, and then we can kind of just move on. Um, yeah. O'Toole, like, there was, I guess there's rampant speculation about Lawrence being gay. Yeah. And I think, uh, I know in that Ebert article, he discusses that, and the way that he states it is that Lean didn't rewrite it but he just said to O'Toole kind of act that or kind of find ways to incorporate that and you see that throughout the film and I don't think it's I don't think it's in like I don't think it's a stereotype either because he doesn't he doesn't get he doesn't cross any lines with it I don't think um, I'm not going to speak for LG, the LGBTQIA plus community because I'm it's not my place. But as an outsider looking at this film with that information, I think that, you know, part of me can see it. But also if they don't st- if they don't state it, you can't really assume it uh, or at least it's unfair to assume it. I think that's probably the way I would want to go about that. Uh, But I also think that, you know, with his performance, O'Toole kind of does that aspect of Lawrence a service. Yeah. Did you see any of that? I don't know. It's, it's hard. I wasn't really thinking about the movie and those kind of parameters. Okay while I was watching it. So I, I, I don't, I would have to go back and rewatch it and kind of bring in that mindset. I mean, there are scenes in it specifically that I thought of, um, like the, the, the scene where he's standing on the train and yeah. the way that he's posing in front of everybody when they first give him like the, when uh, he comes out of the desert with Gassim and he passes out to go to sleep and Omar Sharif's character throws his clothes away to give him, uh, to give him clothes like the Arabs have. I don't want to be like 
I don't want to stomp on. I don't want to be culturally insensitive and, and misstate what it actually is. Yeah. But but when he has like the 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 white outfit that you see on the cover of the DVD, and he like rides off on the camel with it, and he like runs around a little bit, kind of just admiring himself. Like you can see that aspect of it. Um. And you can see him like he definitely feels a sense of comfort and a, sen- and a sense of acceptance, and that could come in that could come into play because I think um, anybody that I know that has come out to family or, or come out to me, uh, I think much more than anything else they wanted me to accept them for who they are. And I think that there's a there's there's there are tiny moments of glee that you see Lawrence being accepted for who he is, and he uh, he re- briefly revels in that. Yeah, I guess for me, it's like I just don't take any romance from this movie. I take a lot of kinship from this movie. Oh, oh no, I wasn't I, w- I wasn't trying to do like the 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 shipping of anybody in this, but I think that like that you see like. Lawrence feeling comfortable in his skin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I agree with that. Like, I mean, I think if you wanted to really draw it out, you see, you see definitely love vibes between him and Omar Sharif. Like, I think you could yeah. definitely make that, you could definitely make that argument. But, um, but, uh, I'm, I'm more, I'm more interested in the acceptance part of it because I know that, for anybody who has ever um, felt dislocated from the norm, uh, acceptance is a, is a very scary road to hoe. Yeah, I get that. Um, and I I I think that Lawrence, when he's when the the brief moments you see him enjoy his acceptance. Uh, I feel I just, I think that those are very warm and portrayed very warmly. Uh, okay. But yeah. Uh, also, like I I did offhand say this on <laughs> on Discord. This movie is like a Shar Aznavour story for oh, sure. Oh yeah. I mean, it's if it's if uh if if uh, if Char was just like not uh radically evil. Well, you see, like now for some reason, I I think. Mobile Suit Gundam: The Origin has this all over it. I totally Not, think so too. I think it has the the scope and everything and this feeling. Like it, it is like this is just this is Shar Aznable of Arabia, as far as I'm concerned. And I think that I think that Mobile Suit Gundam: The Origin, they were probably looking at this, going, hmm, we could probably we could probably use a model for this as like Shar's backstory, and it, it it's it's kind of fascinating. Um, but yeah, this, the, this movie is really cool and, uh, its problems are, are very prominent, but not to sweep them under the rug. It could be worse. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and even around the same time, it was worse. Okay. So what are we watching next episode? I have no idea. 
Okay, well, I'm. I want to pick something weird. I want to pick something out there. We haven't done anything weird. It's early in the year. Let's do something weird. Well, yeah, let's let's let's, 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 get, um, let's get. I got wild. the man who fell to earth. Ooh, some weird, right? That's that definitely weird. Um, I'm look. I'm look. I'm looking at movie because movie puts a lot of like cool okay. weird stuff out. So, all right. Um, you know what we should do? This is not next episode, but we should like pick both of us like five short films we want to watch. And do like a short film marathon. Oh yeah, we could do that. Yeah, we could do um, like what we did for um, uh, Malay. Yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. I kind of just want to watch. Yeah, I just want to watch some weird and out there. Um, anything weird and out there movies off the top of your head? Uh, yeah, I can think of plenty. Uh, have you ever seen Pink Flamingos? I have not seen Pink Flamingos. I don't know where it's streamed. Oh wait a minute! No, no, this is weird enough. How to get ahead in advertising. Let me look it up. How to get ahead in advertising. 1989. Um, I need to make sure it's available that I can actually watch it first. Criterion Channel. Oh, is it on Criterion? Yeah. You sure? Positive. I'm staring at it right now. Yeah, you're right, it is. Well, hold on. It, it's, uh... Right, cool, you can watch it. Okay, cool, yeah. Alright, let's do it. Alright. Oh, uh, it's only an hour, hour and a half. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice reprieve, too. Uh, did you yeah. see what's coming out, by the way, in April on, on Criterion? It, no, I did not. Um, Let me tell you. Let me break it down. Please tell let me, me. Let me find the article real fast. Um, I mean, there's there's definitely one movie uh in April that's coming out that you're going to want to pick up. I mean, I probably want to pick up all of them, but, you know. They're putting out The Seventh Seal on 4K. I think I already have the seventh seal somewhere. Yeah, but on 4K. Come 4K, on, 4K. 4K. So, so I. 4K. So 4K doesn't. 4K does not get my nipples hard. I'm That's sorry. fair, but I, I think that, I think that, I think the reason you might want this is it has an uncompressed. Uh, I can't pronounce this word. Monural soundtrack. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, now, yeah, now right? you're talking. Now. Yeah, now. Right? Not now you're talking to my dark side. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the soundtrack itself is pretty cool. Um, yeah. They're also putting out Fisher King, I think, on 4K now. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and then Triangle of Sadness is getting a 4K release, which is mm. a movie I wanted to see last year that I missed in theaters. So it's cool that uh, that Criterion's picking it up real fast. It's just bummer yeah. that it's coming out in April. Yeah. Um, um, what else we got here? Ooh, small that axe. Three that's Colors cool. box sets coming out on 4K finally. Fuck. Romeo and Juliet's putting out on 4K. I'm really curious how that lawsuit's going to turn out. Lawsuit? Uh, the Romeo and Juliet actors, they are suing the, I want to say studio, for uh, basically they they didn't realize like the nude scenes they filmed were going to be in the movie or something. And they were teenagers. Huh. So that's going to be interesting. Hmm. Uh, Dazing and Fuse is getting a 4K release in February. Um, I'm really excited for Inland Empire in March. Hell yeah! Last hurrah of sh- for chivalry. That'll be cool. Um, chilly scenes of winter is pretty cool too. What just came? What's coming? Hollywood Shuffle is gonna be on the Criterion Collection. That that's dope. That makes and then me you happy. Got, you got um. Uh, the Velvet Underground come just came out. Oh, that doc- that documentary? Yeah. That documentary's not that good. 
Oh, never mind then. I won't. It's. I mean, like, so Velvet Underground mean a lot to me, as you know. It, they, they, what I. So I, I figured out when I was a teenager that when I was four and my mom had to go get milk. Uh, she told me that I can play a record. She taught me how to play a record. Uh-huh. And I played the one with the banana on it because I was four and I knew what a banana was. Um, so I would play, you know, the opening of that album, which is Sunday morning. And it sounds like a mobile. And I would play it till that song ended. And when that mobile started up again, I would go check on my sister, who was one. Um so I remembered that and then, you know, when I'm 15 working at Best Buy and getting CDs on the cheap, I'm like, oh, I've heard about this band and I get Velvet Underground and Nico. I'm like, this is that album. And, you know, that made that made me that that meant a lot to me. And that band from then on has really meant a lot to me. And I every time I see a new like long form essay or a documentary, I'm really hoping there's going to be something I don't know about. And none of that was that. I don't, it didn't, it didn't illuminate the band to me anymore. It, it honestly, it just made me want more. And unfortunately we are, we are going to be getting way less uh, from that well than, then we will ever get more because you know mo and john kale are the only two left yeah i yeah i get that it's rough yeah i mean it, it, and i think that if you don't i mean i know you and i are from very different we're, we're very different age groups so if you don't have that there's a chance that you could watch that and be very enthralled by it so i don't want to i don't want to discount that for you but I think when, if you're if you're like me in that and that has meant something a lot to the point where you've gone out and sought out knowledge on that band, um, Todd Haynes' documentary might not do much for you. What have we been watching? Uh, very well. Okay, I'm gonna do some complaining. Uh oh. Uh, not not necessarily like. I'm not trying to yuck any yums here, but um, as I said before, my wife is in the third trimester of her pregnancy and sleep is hard to come by for her. For sure. So when we are in bed at night, I'm usually playing my switch, you know, on silent just so I can be near her because she says, you know, it helps her relax when I'm when I'm near. And that's I try and do that as much as possible. Um, But she also has to have something very familiar that she doesn't have to think about on television. So we've been on t- so we've been watching a mixture of Grey's Anatomy, Friends, and Big Bang Theory. That's rough, man. That's real rough. And you know, I'm trying to be supportive and she knows I don't like any of this, but like I also know that it helps her. So I'm trying to be I'm trying to be supportive. However, it's real hard <laughs> because no, these, yeah, totally. these shows are bad. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, and, and to to her credit, even she she's like, yeah, they are, but they they help, they they provide, they fill a need at this particular point. So we're we're, we're trying not to be judgy about it. I will say this: uh, the other night when she fell asleep real fast, uh, I put on the birds. And has that has that still rank for you? Uh, it's not great, but I had a good time watching it. <laughs> like, I don't th- like. There are people who try and hold that up as a, as a Hitchcock masterpiece. It is not. Um, I think it's a. It, I think that there is some master work in it. Um, like the way that he makes very bad special effects look scary, and he projects a vibe that is scary but uh it's uh, it, yeah that, that does not hold up very well to me yeah uh, i can see that i mean and i i have i will probably re rewatch like frenzy and marnie just because they're on the criterion channel at some point but uh i don't expect much i've never seen either of them what are you watching um, jesse I got a couple. A couple you cool. might appreciate. Uh, I watched Wayne's World 2. Very nice. I will say, I think Wayne's... I mean, I mean yeah, Wayne's World 1 is still better. I think I laughed harder, though, during Wayne's World 2. Yeah, I think the I think the gags are funnier. The whole joke between Wayne and... Uh, 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 Christopher gosh, Walken? His name now? Not Christopher Walken. Um... Uh, gosh, what is his name? Looking for the name. Uh, James Hong. Uh, <laughs> the whole uh, subtitle and then dubbed over fight scene that they have. Oh shit! Yeah, is one of the funniest <laughs> things. And it's like, great. it's one of those things where like it's respectful, but also like goofy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was fun. Shin Ultraman was a blast. Oh shit! That came out, didn't it? Yeah, it just had a two-day release over here. Uh, I think you'll yes. like it a lot, though. Fuck, I want to watch that. I need to watch Sin Godzilla, too. Uh, I watched Mamma Mia. Okay. And I think uh, I think my review is pretty telling. You either get Mamma Mia or you get Rock of Ages. There is no in-between. Okay, so you're going to have to explain that to me. So Rock of Ages is another jukebox musical. Not of one single artist. It's just a bunch of like rock of a certain era mm-hmm. that start Tom Cruise as a rocker. Right. That movie is, like, bad. Like, it's a bad movie, right? Okay. Um, Mamma Mia is fun. It's a fun. It's not perfect, but it's fun. Sure. So I think if you're going to do jukebox musicals, you want to be with Mamma Mia versus Rock of Ages. I think, yeah. Well, and see, and I think, I think ABBA is one of my faves, and uh, their singles output, pretty impeccable, in my opinion. And Mamma Mia is full of that. So those songs are great. Yeah, they're great. I've never watched. Pierce Brosnan can't sing, but he gave it a good try. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, I also watched two movies: one called Shallow Grave, and the other one called Train Spotting. A double, Danny Boyle feature. Fuck. Uh, I wish I. Li- I w- yes, I wish I had your life. Um, I need to watch Shallow Grave. I it's on HBO that. Max. Recommend I haven't it. watched. I haven't watched that for fucking ever it's in the criterion collection it's i think it's very good i think it's very good i mean there's some issues but i think it's very good like it's but still like as i think that's a that's danny boyle's debut isn't it yeah like it's a good start to anybody's film career yeah and like it's still like 
it's still like as good as I mean, we could talk about you. Can, you can't really compare that and Train Spotting for obvious reasons, but like it's definite. It's de- it's like um that early Scorsese movie. Yeah, um, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Yeah, like it's not his. It's not his first one by any stretch, but it's one of those that like still holds up with his best work, even though it's that early. Um, and yeah, Shallow Grave is definitely that for Danny Boyle. Danny yeah. Boyle is such a good filmmaker, and Train Spotting is impeccable. I, it, I, it, it really both those movies just go to prove that as much as I love Hugh McGregor as a charming leading man, he's much better playing the scummy, scummy man. <laughs> oh hell yeah! Um, so yeah, those are what, those are what mostly I've been watching. I watched a lot of bad stuff there too. I watched a lot of bad old Disney movies because I'm watching all those Disney movies. Um, and I watched some stand-up specials. Those are fun. What bad but, old Disney movies did you watch? Oh, just, just man. Just list them. I mean, it's not like bad as in I hated this, but bad as in like, I I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> uh, like Bambi. Bambi's not bad, but I don't get it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think you're right there. I think Bambi is not bad, but like beyond Bambi's mother's death, like, that's Not much going there. Yeah, there's there's very little happening. Uh, I watched Sal- Saludos Amigos. That's the the shorts they made while they uh, the Disney crew visited. Uh, I, I want to say like Venezuela or something. Isn't like that, that like the Three Caballeros? That's where and... they get introduced. But it's a bunch okay. of shorts. Okay, um, it's a little racist. Like a lot of this. No. Like, oh really? Bam- <laughs> Bambi so far in my Disney watch has been the only one that has no racial caricatures. Fuck. Like even because like, they're I all mean, animals. Yeah, yeah. There's like, but even Dumbo has it. Like you can't get. Oh away yeah, from it. yeah. Dum- um, the crows in Dumbo are racist. Which is so surprising. I, I watch Dumbo and I'm like, oh, he only flies in the last 15 minutes of this movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I watch Victory to Air Power, which you can't even watch on Disney Plus. I had to find it on YouTube. And it's just like an almost two hour long documentary about how if we get air power, we'll win against the Japanese. Yeah. But it's animated. So that's why I'm watching it. Yeah. No. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot, lots of racism in Disney's animation vaults. Like I remember when they were putting out those Disney treasure collections. Yeah. And they had like the war propaganda films. And like, I wanted to get that and watch it just for like the historical context. But uh, I feel like that was one of the decisions that my ex-wife convinced me not to partake in. And I, I, I think retro retrospectively, I agree with her. Like, I feel like that would have been a bad move. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the like when I, I'm going to get to Song of the South that not from not too long from now. And like when I get there, it's just going to be like, oh, <laughs> is that on Disney Plus? Nope. I'm going to yeah, have to find it, another way to watch it. Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling you're going to have to torrent that somewhere yeah. <laughs> if you can find it. But but uh yeah, but yeah that's uh, and like i'm having a good time like seeing how one how fast they made these movies but i mean mm-hmm. there's, no, there's no animation unions yet right. um and then also kind of like how powerful the animation was back then um yeah. the next ones i have are the three cabaneros make my music and then song of the south so whew. I don't get to have fun again until like five movies from now when I get to the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Oh shit. And then yeah, I get to have fun good. for a while. <laughs> <laughs> then we have a good hot streak. Yeah. 
and then it's like cold until you get to like the lion king or whatever honestly i think i'm gonna be fine after this next period because like even though it gets cold you have the fox and the hound the black cauldron the great mouse detective the brave little toasters on there all of the black cauldron is the the black cauldron i think is better yeah like i want to have fun i I think that i think it's better i think i think the black cauldron tanked with audiences because it's dark yeah it is impressively dark for a kid's movie and uh and yeah they're like i'm pretty sure i saw it and was like i don't know what this isn't making me feel like i want to feel um but eventually you get to robin hood and robin hood's pretty good yeah i think i'll be fine robin hood's pretty good um matthew where can people find you on the internet they can find me on co-host co-host.org slash infinite dash rewind that's where all of my that's where all of my ramblings go and i've been using that site like a blog so so yeah if you want to if you want to read some words from me that's where you can find it uh other than that, you can find me co-hosting a couple of the podcasts. Uh, one is called Trivial Merit, and that's uh, myself and Jesse's and my mutual friend Caroline. We talk about music. We pick an artist or a style or a theme of some sort and try and make eight-song playlists centered around that to get us from a negative mood to a positive one, both of which are decide- decided by dice rolls. We're about to put out our Tom Petty episode and after that, we are taking on Enya. Nice. So, uh, yeah, it's I. I'm really excited. The the Tom Petty one. I'll say it. I really enjoyed that episode. I think that episode. Tom Petty's great. Yeah, he, gone too soon. He's for real. Um, and then I'm really excited to dig into Enya, just because I'm not I'm not super familiar with her beyond certain singles. Uh, you can also find me talking about the modern Hitman trilogy of video games on a show called the Bod- the Bald Gun Guy podcast that's put out by Scanline Media Gun Guy Pod on Twitter, and I just thank Six and Ty for letting me nerd out with them. Scanline do do great work, and they have a plethora of shows, all of which you should check out. ScanlineMedia.com. Jesse. You can find me places. You can find this show on the internet, on Twitter at Free Reeling It. You can email us anything you want to email us. Tell us why we're wrong about movies. Tell us why we're right. Give us suggestions at Free Reeling It at gmail.com. Matthew, who does our theme song? Uh, my buddy Jason. He goes by Deadeye. That's D-E-A-D-I, all caps when you spell the man's name. He's on Spotify. He's on Bandcamp. Uh, his album Bloodshed Kingdom came out last, or no, not last year. Now it's uh, 2021, so two year, two years ago now, and uh, it's great. You should listen to it. It's very good instrumental reggae adjacent music. Uh, get some, get some dark, get some light, get some uh, edgy vibes. It's a really good time. He was also part of a duo back in the early 2010s called the Hope Street Steppers. They put out an album of fantastic instrumental reggae in 2013 called Black Lightning. That's on Spotify. That's on Bandcamp. Support my buddy Jason. He's a good father. He's a good nurse. Deadeye Productions on Instagram. D-E-A-D-I Productions. All lowercase there. Thank you, Jason, for the theme song. And remember, everybody... 
Of course it's painful to watch an almost four hour movie. The trick is to not show it.